Section 2 of A Bunch of Keys, Where They Were Found and What They Might Have Unlocked, A Christmas Book, edited by Tom Hood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wayne Cook. The Bunch of Keys, The Ring, by T. W. Robertson. Chapter 2. Concerning the Contents of the Big Black Box. Bob, at my direction, secreted some lucifers, wrapped them in a piece of paper, and put them in his pocket. He also procured about four inches of candle, which he kept in the crown of his cap. Martha remarked that evening that we seemed in an unusual hurry to get to bed. At half-past eight she tucked us up, kissed us, and wished us good-night, and took our light away. Little did she think of the project that was afoot. "'Steve,' said Bob, when we were alone in the dark, "'when Martha kissed us I didn't like to think of what we were going to do.' "'Why not?' I asked. "'It seemed so sneakish. Are you afraid?' I confess I began to feel a bit nervous myself. No, I'm, I'm not afraid, but I hate to know anything that everybody else doesn't know. Bob was very stupid. We didn't play that night at Wild Horse of the Prairies, our constant custom before going to sleep, but lay watching and watching and waiting and waiting for Martha and Jane and John Simpson to go to bed. John Simpson was a laborer who always slept in the house when father was away. Oh, that night! How long every minute seemed, and how I thought of the big black box standing in the spare bedroom. I grew almost frightened, for I imagined that when we opened it we might find a dead body, or the spirit of the tall, pale gentleman to whom in life it had belonged. Or if a dreadful head should raise up and say, Is it time? As in the oil jar and the forty thieves. I almost repented our project and wished we had never undertaken it. But then we had the four inches of candle, the lucifers, and the chisel. And of what good were those implements unless we used them? Bob was soon fast asleep, snoring like a corncrake. At last I heard them go to bed. Jane first, then John Simpson, Martha last, and then followed another tedious, wretched time. I calculated that it would take them one hour to go fast asleep. The hour or longer, I know not, passed, and I made an attempt to wake Bob. I might as well have striven to move Thropecroft Church. He turned and plunged and kicked till at last I was forced to resort to a wet towel across his eyes. He woke. "'What's up?' he asked. "'The box.' "'All right,' he said, and got out of bed immediately. Crash, smash, went the water jug which I had placed by the bedside to cold pig Master Bob with. We both jumped into bed again and closed our eyes tightly, as if in the profoundest slumber. "'What a fool you are!' I whispered under the bedclothes. "'What did you put the water-jug in the way for?' he replied. 
Did you upset it? Yes. Didn't you hear trickling? Get up and wipe it, I said, or it'll run through into the ceiling below. Bob seized his shirt and the piece of carpet by our bedside, and the drip, drip of the water ceased. The noise had not aroused anybody, so we slipped across the room to our door, every board creaking as if asking Martha to come down and catch us. We got out into the passage. The spare bedroom was on the same floor so that we soon reached it. The key was in the lock as usual, but it was so tight that I could not turn it. "'Let me try,' whispered Bob, and he turned it in a moment, and we stood in the spare bedroom. "'Where's the Lucifers?' I asked. "'Haven't you got them?' "'No. Haven't you?' "'I thought you had them in your pocket.' "'I haven't a pocket in my nightshirt, have I?' said the aggravating Bob. "'Haven't you bought the bit of candle either?' I inquired. "'No.' "'Where are they?' "'In our room.' "'Why didn't you bring them with you?' "'I forgot.' He had no forethought. "'I'll go fetch him," he said. I did not like to be left in the spare bedroom alone, so I went and returned with him, armed with the candle, matches, and chisel. We closed the door. "'Now, ladies and gentlemen,' said Bob, who was for a frivolous turn even at that eventful moment, "'just a-going to begin.' And we lit the candle. And there was the big black box in its accustomed corner the strap buckle glistening in the light as if daring us to unfasten it. The spare bed loomed wide upon us like a ghost, and every hole in the embroidery above its watchful fringe seemed like an eye upon us. I felt cold all over, particularly at the feet. "'Now, Steve, go it,' said Bob. "'Bob,' I suggested, "'let's toss up for it. For what? To see who is to do it. Do what? Open the it, I mean. We haven't got any coppers. Then let's pull hairs for it. And we each pulled a hair out of our heads, an invention of mine which we always adopted when straws and grass were not available. Bob, having pulled out the shorter hair, lost. I held the candle while he unbuckled the strap, as cool as an ostler. "'Mind you don't make a noise,' I whispered. Bob took the chisel. I shut my eyes tight, heard a slight sound. "'All right,' from Bob. And the deed was done. The box was open. A newspaper was spread upon the top of the contents. We pulled it aside, and the first thing we saw were three swords. One long, thin one with a dark blue steel handle and mountings, one broader one with a white handle and a cold cross hilt, a short broadsword and a red gold scabbard, which I knew at once to be of the sorts of sword used by the ancient Romans. Confound them! Hurrah! shouted Bob in a whisper as we each drew a weapon and waved it over our heads. Think of finding three swords, not one, but three. Robinson Crusoe was not more delighted when he discovered the bell of gunpowder on the wreck. We continued our search. 
The next thing we took out was a lot of garments tied up together in a sort of towel. We opened the packet and found a tiger skin, a white shirt with gold fringe at the ends, no arms but brass ornaments all over it, a pink undershirt, and long stockings coming up to the waist, three or four gold chains, a pair of sandals, ancient Romans, a bird of paradise cut in half, and a book of the play of Pizarro, or the Spaniards in Peru, by Brinsley Sheridan. We next found a beautiful Turkish dress, which we afterwards were told was the dress of Othello, the Moor of Venice, and a Scotch dress for Macbeth, and a dress for the crooked-backed tyrant Richard the Third, and Hamlet's dress, all black and a hat to match, exactly like the feathers on a hearse, and a dagger, and several other things needless to mention, besides a lot of playbooks and half an old letter. In the letter it said, My dear sir, I agree to your terms, and we will, if it will suit you, commence on the 17th, which will give us Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for Coventry, Thursday and Friday for Worcester, thus leaving the Saturday for you at Birmingham, if you can so arrange it. With regard to... And the letter said no more. Bob and I each put on a hat and feathers, drew a sword, and danced with joy until we were out of breath. We then fought a combat, carefully avoiding hitting the swords together for fear of making a noise. I looked to the candle, which we had placed in the fireplace, and saw that there was no more than an inch left. We hastily returned our new-found treasures, all but the swords and the dagger, those we would not part with, to the box, and after a difficulty, for we could not pack well, got the lid down and the strap buckled tightly over it. The hasp of the lot, though broken, looked all right, and with the sword on each shoulder and the dagger in my teeth like Robinson Crusoe with his two guns, I crept back to bed, followed by Bob. End of Section 2